There's a David in the Bible, the King David, and the story is quite fascinating. And all the stories in the Bible have a lesson or two or three. And today, the hero or heroine that I have been led to select in the Bible is a lady by the name of Abigail. How many have heard of Abigail in the Bible? Oh, more than I thought. I had, I had heard about her, but I had never really uh, done any research or just kind of read the story back there when, when this happened, this incident, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing in 1 Samuel, uh, the whole chapter, but uh, I'll tell you the story. And you can check me out. You read the Bible, and if you have any problem with what my story, you know, see me after class. I mean, after church. <clears throat> but the story starts out talking about a guy named David. Now, David was uh, one who had been anointed king by Samuel the prophet. And when this story begins, Samuel the prophet had died. And the whole country was in mourning. David was out in the desert. They call it the desert, but he was out there with his flocks. Now, David was not super rich at this time. He only had about four or 500 servants and people with him and his flocks. But there was another fella by the name of Naaman. Naaman, which means fool or moron, Naaman. The moron, I mean the fool, Naaman, had thousands of goats, thousands of sheep, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of servants and men. He's rich. He was the husband of Abigail. He was very, very rich, very arrogant, very surly, nasty, mean, abusive, selfish, and uh, he was really into himself. Narcissistic would be a good word. So you got, you got the picture of Naaman the fool, right? You got, you got to keep that through the story. But his wife, Abigail, she was something else. Abigail was a lady that was intelligent. I don't, I don't know how Naaman ever got her, to tell you the truth. She was intelligent. Uh, she was beautiful physically. Her spirit, she was very loving. She was very discerning. And though we don't know the whole background of her faith, she had a connection with God Almighty, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Oh, the same God of, of David that David worshipped. And uh, her name means the father's joy. She was her father's joy. <laughs> How many of you ladies can say, I am my father's joy? I hope my daughters can. I love them all. Uh, I hope you can. So you get the picture. Here's Abigail, a beautiful woman. 
married to a, an abusive drunk. <laughs> I'll tell you about that story in a little bit. We'll get to the lesson. But as the story goes, David was out with these flocks and he needed to, they were shearing sheep. It was time to shear. And this Nabal had his people out there too. They're all together looking after each other's sheep. That's the way they did it back then. And David's shepherds took care of Nabal's. They, they, they took care, they manned the peripheral not to let any wolves or anybody's any thieves in. You got, they took care of Nabal, his people. Well, Nabal was not out there with the sheep. He was back home in the palace, his little ranch, palace. So David wanted to get his sheep sheared, and Nabal had the, the whole setup to shear. David also needed some supplies and a little wine. And so David sent his men, uh, two, three, I don't know how many there were, to Nabal's residence to greet him and tell him that they were pleased uh, the way the two groups got along, shearing sheep and all. And David asked his men to ask Nabal for some assistance, some help. Well, the men went to Nabal and told, told him what David had said. And Nabal he said, who is this David? I don't know this David. I, I've got my own stuff here. I've got my own meat for my own shears. I'm not going to give, I don't know him. He's out. I'm not going to give him anything. Well, David's men came back to David and told him what had happened. The hair on the back of David's head stood up. The neck got red. And David said, that's it. So he told 400 men to get their swords and get battle ready. We're going to go clean that no good Nabal out and kill every one of his servants. Kill them all. Now, now think about it. David was justified in being aggravated. He had been slighted even for his goodness. Have you ever been slighted for your goodness? And you feel like, mm, get back, you know. So David... He's human like us. You know, eventually David became king of Israel. You got to keep that in mind. This is the guy we're talking about here. He was going to kill them all. And he could have. Well, he's on his way to the fool's house, to Nabal's house. And somehow the servants of Nabal got the message that David was coming to kill them, and they told Nabal's wife, Abigail, hey, they're coming to kill your husband, and they're going to kill all of the servants because your husband is a no-good son of a scoundrel. <laughs> now, <laughs> you've got to remember Abigail had never read Ephesians about husbands, loves your wives, wives. She didn't have a New Testament. And she had to live with this son of a gun. I don't know how she ever got with him in the first place, but she had to live with him for that time. And right away, with her connection to God Almighty, 
I believe, and this is not written in the scripture, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God came into her and said, you got to stop this. And that's where the risk-taking begins. What? i got to stop this. If I interfere in any way, I could be killed. A wife could be killed back then. If I interfere in any way, my children, if she had children, could get probably, could be disinherited. She could lose her marriage. She could lose everything. But she had to make a decision because the Holy Spirit was telling her, Abigail, you have to do something. So Abigail called the servants together. Moron was back at another place having a, a drunken orgy, having a party. Abigail got the servants together and she got so many, uh, you know, I could go into it, the wheat and the wine and the, the cheese and all that. And she got it and she met David's 400 men and David on the way. And she bowed down in front of David and said, my Lord, my servant. And she began to tell him that she had brought all this stuff because she had heard that David was going to kill her husband. I think if I'd have been her, I'd have said, hey, David, there's the road. <laughs> Go get him. But that's not what God wanted. Because Abigail knew something in her heart that would affect David later on in life. And that was that David's motive was not of God. His motive was pure, unadulterated vengeance. And when we do things out of vengeance, uh, it's, it's a negative response, a negative effect, and it hurts us and hurts people around. It kills our witness. So she wanted to stop him. And she, she spoke to him. And she said, sir, my, my Lord, that's how they talked back then. I, I'm not used to calling anybody Lord, but she was very respectful and beautiful. And David, he had an eye for the ladies. You know that. He was in delight. I had a big time. But David, David listened to her. And he said, I have listened to your plea, and I'm going to take your advice, and I'm going to change. I'm not going to kill your sorry husband. Now, now that's that's story. You know, we, we could make a series out of this, this story. Can't you imagine? Man, a nice show. I've thought of that. But, you know, God already beat me to it. You have, a, you have your notes. David, as I started at the beginning, was purely human. Like all of you and me. He was human. He was imperfect and he made mistakes. He, uh, <clears throat> he did have one good thing, fantastic issue going for him. Not an issue, but a but a relationship, and that was that he loved God, and God loved him. God loved him. Through all of his philandering, his murdering, and his craziness, God loved him. And that always gives me a great feeling that, gee, I might have a chance too. God loves me. Abigail 
listen to the Spirit. She explained to David that really this is not for your benefit. God would not want you to do this. And Abigail listened to what David had to say. And David says, you know, since you were good enough and you gave me wise counsel, I'm going to heed it and I'm not going to do that. There are times in life when believers are so sure of what they believe and they give us advice and they're absolutely 100% wrong. That is one lesson from this story. So remember when you hear a fellow believer come to you in any manner and say, God told me, let the red flags go up right away and say, you know, let's check this thing out. If I came in here on Sunday morning and I said, you know, God has spoke to me yesterday and he told me that we're going to spend $2 million this year on so-and-so, you would have to say, whoa, wait a minute. We need to check that out. We need to check it out. There's uh, wisdom in common agreement and prayerful search for God's will. I had many properties over in Punta Gorda that we had to buy uh, during the course of the years that uh, we were there. And uh, I would come out on Sunday morning and smile and say, have I, got a, have I got some good news for you? And people would say, oh, Lord, what's he want to buy now? They, they finally, after the third or fourth property, said that. But I didn't just come out there and, and blurt that out without having it all, all connected and communicated to the powers that be before I came out there. Before I presented to the congregation, I had run that by about six or eight or ten people that if all else failed, I'd get the money from those ten people to buy it. But we, we prayed about it, and we, we would uh, come into agreement. And common counsel by the Holy Spirit is needed. So Abigail was led of the Lord. David received her counsel and things went well. A lesson from that is, and I think it's number three on your thing, don't neglect the possibility of great advice that could help you or change your life from the lips of a stranger. Think about that. You get on a plane, they're not just beside you by happenstance. I always like to ask them when I get on the plane, sit down, relax. And they'll always, for some reason, say, what, what business are you in? And I would always say insurance. Yeah, what kind of insurance do you sell? I said life. And then I would say, if this plane crashes today, do you have life? <laughs> oh, they get all excited, you know. I guess that might be a bit of untruth there, but got the conversation going. 
But believers can be so very wrong. We can be so very wrong. Look at, look at the debate and the hullabaloo that's going on right now in the church about whether to get a shot or not to get a shot. If you don't want to get a shot, don't get a shot. If you got a shot, God bless you. But don't argue with people about whether it's good or bad. That's the devil's way of causing confusion, dissension, and division. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Thank you very much, Lord. <laughs> uh, I guess another lesson for me is number five, you've got to trust always God's goodness in the worst, most difficult situations. You've got to trust it. Um, I'm sure that there are many of us, including me, sitting here today, that have hesitated, and I hate to use the word, but neglected to step forward and do what needs to be done because we're afraid to take a risk. Back 1970, I started with four churches, a little place up in southern Ohio. Went to college there, was about seven miles away. Later on, I went to seminary, which was 150 miles away. So I started out, I didn't have any idea how, what preaching was all about. I just had to learn the hard way. The second, or the first, no, the first year, I had a church in one little town, then we had a night service. Sometimes I would preach at the Presbyterian, other times I would preach at the Methodist church. So after the service, one evening, the elder of the church, I forget what we called him, I called him the elder, he said, Pastor, uh, this lady needs to see you right away. She needs to see you and so-and-so. So Barb went on home. I said, okay. He said, I'll take you out there. I said, okay. It was getting dusky dark. So he drives me out in the country to this double-wide trailer. And he's, I knocked on the door. And as I knocked on the door, he drove off. Now I'm thinking, kid, Lord, I didn't know the people that well. This lady came to the door, and she says, you're the pastor? Yes, and uh, this guy had already called her and told her I'd be there. So I went in. She said, come in, sit down. <clears throat> she had three children. Two of them were girls. One of the girls was her, her child by a previous marriage, about 15, 16 years old. And one of the girls, about 12 years old, was her child with the husband she was now with. Her problem was... The husband was abusing the two girls. She's telling me this. And he's a truck driver and he's violent and he's prone to really being violent and he could come in at any minute. I'm sitting there in the middle of, I didn't even know where it was. The guy's gone, left me there. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Now here's where risk comes in. I thought about getting, I didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have a cell phone back then. I'm not turning the current. I thought about getting out walking towards the church, wherever that was. But I, I listened to her and I said, when is your husband <laughs> due home? 
<laughs> and she said, oh, you can come in any time. Oh, my God. I said, oh, okay. Uh, all right. And I, I said, let's pray. And I prayed with her that God would work that thing out. She called. Uh, the guy came back and he got me, and I got out of there. Thank God the husband didn't come home. She called me two days later and said he was in and he was willing to talk to me. Oh, I said, oh, no. So I met him at their house, and there was only the wife there and him, and the girls were at school, wherever. And I confronted him with what she had said. That's risky. I could have been dead. And he, he just broke down in tears. And so I called a friend of mine, another pastor friend from uh, a little church, spirit-filled church, and we, we, I took this guy, went down to my friend's church, and the other pastor, he was charismatic, boy, he, we put hands on him and prayed for him, and it was a, kind of a chilly day, so we were in this wood church. It was okay, it wasn't cold, but as soon as we laid hands on him and prayed for him, he started just wailing. And the wind started blowing through the church. I thought somebody walked in the church. And not a door or window had been opened. And the man was delivered from that behavior. Now, he still had to pay his consequences. There were consequences for his action. But had I not listened to the Spirit, and I'm not blowing up myself because I was scared. I was Pretty afraid. I was afraid. <laughs> and I could name you a couple other times serious like that where I was frightened out of my wits and God, God blesses a faithful action even though it's a tremendous risk. And he'll bless your risk. So I'm not sure what that story and lesson means to you, but Abigail is the, the hero, the heroine of the story, and if it hadn't been for Abigail, we wouldn't be talking about this today, would we? So God bless Abigail. Here's what I want to end up. <clears throat> if, if this story has sparked an increase in your faith. Because faith always precedes action. Action follows faith. Here it's not faith. Oh, I believe, I believe I love you. I can you gotta have some action behind that. Uh, I believe that so and so is a there's gotta be some action. So if you have situations in your life or the life of someone dear to you that requires a risk on your part to step in and do something that would make the situation better, even though it may cost you, risk always carries with it possible consequences. Now, I'm not talking about business. I, we, you know, we take risk in business, buy this stock, that stock. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 
human relations, relations with one another, a risk. If I wanted to come down here to Michelle and say, Michelle, and I knew that with the, she was having problems with this guy, David, <laughs> I would take a risk and say, Michelle, what are we going to do about this guy? <laughs> but I would take a risk. I would. You might call it being nosy or whatever. A person who, the Holy Spirit will keep you safe most of the time. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get in any big trouble. You still may have some, some potential consequences, but are you willing to risk like Abigail risked her life, she risked her reputation, she risked her fortune, she risked it all because she wanted to do what was right. It was the right thing to do. Now, there's another part of the story later on, if you keep reading there in Samuel, that's nice because I love this. Forgive me, Lord. <clears throat> oh, moron, her husband, He's, he's celebrating. They had the sheep shearing and all, man, they're having a party. They got the big legs of lamb out. You know, well, she comes back home after she met David, and David didn't carry through his plan to kill that moron. So she comes in the moron, and he was drunk. So she said, I'm not going to say anything to him tonight. Let him sleep it off. Next morning, she told him what happened. He was frozen. He couldn't believe she would do this. She hadn't read Ephesians chapter 5. And then you know what happened? God killed him. Now you say God doesn't kill people. Well, read the story. It looks like he had a major stroke to me if you read it, but God killed him, got him out of the way. David comes in and says, yummy, I will take this. He took Abigail, his wife. He got a good woman out of the whole story. You like that story? Isn't that great? Fantastic. Hard to tell that to kids. They, they haven't quite matured enough to get the, the real stuff out of that story. They, they, kids like more like you know, bam, Goliath falls dead. Kids can get into that. But after God killed him, old moron, he was not in the picture anymore. And Abigail lived, I guess, happily ever after till Goliath came along. <laughs> David had a, uh, I'm telling you, David's life would be a great series. A great series. Here's the way I want to end. If you're willing to take a risk in response to someone or some issue that, needs, that you feel needs to be addressed, but you've kind of hesitated to jump in, but you feel kind of led that way, if you'll stand up right now, we're going to have a prayer of agreement before we leave here today, and your life is going to be much greater, much richer for doing what you're called to do. So if you have that risk, you think about that risk, something that you know God is calling you to do, you've thought about it over time, but 
You've just not taken the initiative. You haven't taken the risk. What would you risk so that God can be blessed, your life can be enhanced? You know, Drucker, I think his name is, David Drucker, said that 90% of the people take two major risks a year. 90%. And the people that, that do that. And they, they take, the, the people that take risks usually make two major mistakes a year. But the people that do not take risk, they usually make two major mistakes a year. So why wouldn't you take a risk for the Lord? Would you stand and let's, let's have an agreement together that God is going to interfere in the life of the person or person that you maybe are called. I hope and pray you'll listen to the Spirit. Maybe you're called. You may want to tell them about Jesus. You may want to pray with them. When somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'm really hurting here, pray for them right there. That's risky. Just put your hands on them and pray for them. They won't think you're crazy, and if they do, it's okay. But there's a risk. They may tell you to get lost. I had an English professor once, and I went to the hospital in the cold weather up in Ohio. I braved that weather to go pray with this professor in the hospital. And I was talking to him, and I started to leave, and I said, do you mind if I have prayer with you? You know what he said? I'm not going to say the exact words he said. <laughs> But he said, no. I was crushed. I thought, well, you sorry rascal. I come in. <laughs> There's always a risk. But that's what life is all about when you're a believer. Risk, adventure, and excitement. Let us pray. God, I thank you that you've helped us to find an exciting life since we've become believers and accepted your son. Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of every person here now. Enable us to see clearly areas of our life and the life of others where we need to step up and take a risk. Help us not to be caught up in dissension and foolish arguing, but to go forward with our eyes in faith, ready to put action behind our faith. These are all my sisters and brothers, God, and I lift them up to you. Bless them, bless their family. Give them health, protection, peace, prosperity in the name of Jesus Christ. All that I give you, that blessing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go. Home blessed. You are among the blessed. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Bye.